So I hope you have a Bible this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin reading verse number 18 and read through chapter 2, verse number 12. Um, kind of uh, reading a little bit uh, of two familiar passages together um, as we, we get the birth announcement of Jesus plus um, Matthew's version of Jesus' birth and the visitation that he receives from some very important people. So Matthew 1, verse number 18, we'll begin today. As Matthew tells us, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After the mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away or to call off the marriage secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be, called, shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and she called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them when t what time the star had appeared. And he sent to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring backward to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy." And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So here we have uh, not only a narrative of the events of Christ's birth, but also the prophetical Old Testament scriptures being brought to us, reminding us that all of this was planned before. All of this was prophesied years and years it actually happened, and that everything that happened, just as God said it would, was absolutely good news to all people of great joy. And if you weren't with us last week, we heard an amazing word from God about what Christ and what Christmas brings us, and what it brings us universally. Every one of us can confidently know that because of Christmas, we can have peace with God. We have found favor with God. And we began around this question last time that I think is worth reminding us once again. What if there was good news with such impact and resonance that any and all bad news would always be matched 
and surpassed that no matter what bad news comes our ways, the good news of Christmas is so good. It's so good that the power and gravity of it will always counter, match, and surpass anything that might try to ruin our day. And we determined that the Christmas, the good news of Christmas, the level of good news that comes with Christmas is unrivaled by anything of this world. Now, the good news of Christmas doesn't mean that we won't ever face bad news again. It does mean that we don't have to have bad days without good news. Christmas means that you can wake up every morning, and even though the news you receive may not be good, the doctor visit may not go well, the work day may not be the best, the life as you live it with him or her may not be ideal, but no matter what bad may come your way, good news is here to stay. All because, and this is great, all because Christmas forever settled in heaven and on earth where we stand with God. And if you don't get anything else for the next few minutes, I hope that you can leave here with that and know for cert- with certainty Christmas forever settled, not just in heaven, but on earth, and it's recorded as history, forever settled on, he- on earth in heaven where you stand with God. You have found peace with Him, and you have found favor with Him. It's settled where we stand with God because of what Christmas communicates. And Matthew 1 communicates to us that Christmas means God is with us. Christmas settles where we stand because the promise of Christmas is that God has stood beside us and will always stand beside us. And since God is with us, we can always be with Him, having peace and having favor. But, what if I told you that Christmas is more than just God with us? As great as that promise is, and as hard to get over that promise is, while good God with us is incredible news, there is more good news where that came from. See, a lot of people stop at God with us. It's just a feeling. It's just a seasonal warm reminder that we hear in the words, in the songs, and in the, uh, the Christmas festivities. We feel the magic in the air. We come together and sing and celebrate. But for many people, for most people, that's where it stops. And while the promise of Jesus born in a manger is awesome and heartwarming, for many people, God with us stays in the stable. We visit Him on Christmas, we pay tribute just like the wise men did, but we don't leave differently like they did. We take Christ's incarnation as a sign of God's approval, a gesture of His goodwill, and of course Christmas is about God's approval based on His love alone. And even if we never move past that, and here's the, what's even awesome that we don't think about a lot. Even if we never move past that, God does not threaten us to take that away. God's thoughts toward us don't change. Even if it never changes us, God has forever decided how He feels about us and what He has given to us. He will never take that back. He will still love us. He will look on us with favor and reign over us with peace. See, Christmas commemorates God's unending love for us. The incarnation changed heaven and earth forever. God became a person, right? And, and of course, that changed the way the entire Trinity, the way, the, in, the way heaven and, and earth cooperated together and exists, right? God became a person, and Jesus, a person, rules in heaven, a genuine human being on a throne surrounded by angels and heavenly beings. There is a person, there is one of us in the center of it all. It's pretty incredible. You see, Christmas changed everything. It changed God. 
It changed heaven. And it changed earth. But the outstanding question is, has it changed you? That's the question we have to ask ourselves as this season gets more and more in its prime, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, and we get so close to the point where it goes away and we'll be gone for a year. Has Christmas changed us the way it ought to, the way it is supposed to? You see, Christmas extends an opportunity, an invitation to us to do more than just change our schedule for a few days to do more than just change the station we listen to or our wardrobe or our attitude for just a day or two. There is an underlying message. There is an opportunity and a gift of Christmas that is meant and has the potential to change our, us at our core and impact who we are and what we do forever. Christmas can't just be a seasonal feeling. It can't just be familiar songs and sentimental moments and memories. It's more than that. It's better than that. And while we often think Christmas is just about this manger, and we have everybody in place, and everyone does exactly what they're supposed to do every single year, we always have the baby, we always have the mother and the father and the shepherds and the wise men and the donkey and the sheep, right? We always have everyone in the exact same place. And isn't it true that almost every December we do the exact same things over and over and over again? And shouldn't it be changing us every time all the more? But that isn't always the case, is it? God with us is more and better than just an ornament of Jesus laying on a stack of hay. And I think that nothing communicates this more than the story that comes right after the traditional Christmas story. It's an abrupt transition that we often conveniently skip over in this season. We hardly ever circle back around to it because it's so messy and it's so dark. It's such contrast to all that we celebrate and think about at Christmas. And I think that's the point. To communicate to us that contrast through the fog, through the confusion that if Christmas doesn't mean more past the manger and those characters we know and have visualized and portrayed in plays and dramas, if Christmas stays wrapped in swaddling clothes, Christmas is wasted. And God with us will eventually feel more like God has left us. Because while we are tempted to leave Jesus in this familiar scene out of convenience, there will come a time when we need God outside of that manger scene. Where we need Him when we aren't in the mood and the magic isn't in the air. And when we're hurting and we're angry and we're broken and you're questioning everything. So if you don't unwrap the full gift, we don't learn to understand and get the whole story, we'll be worse because of it. And ultimately, we will miss the real meaning of Christmas because of it. See, for a lot of us, for a lot of people, we have a Sunday school version of faith. We have an appreciation for Christmas. As, things go, as life goes on and things go smooth, as expected, that version is okay. But when things go off the rails, when it's not your day, or when, not, when, it's, someone else's, when it's not someone else's day and you're in their way, we need a stronger version of Christianity. We need a real version, the raw and uncut version that doesn't take away from the joy and beauty we all know and love about Christmas, but adds to and strengthens the real gift of the season. And most of all, it adds and strengthens to you. So I want to read the rest of the story. It's very messy and it's often skipped over because it's just kind of dark. But it can't be forgotten. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying... Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee. Run for your lives to Egypt, 
and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, and it, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. He sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had de determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now my initial reaction to that, my initial unfiltered reaction to that part of the Christmas story is always this. How can that story happen after the story? I mean, one minute we have angels singing, and the next minute mothers are crying. I mean, the one minute the Messiah is born, and the next thousands are massacred. How can that happen? Can you imagine what Mary had to live with for the rest of her life? That her baby boy's birth caused Hundreds, if not thousands, of mothers to never be able to hold their children? Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the pain she had to deal with? Can you imagine what she must have been thinking after the angel had told her she was highly favored? After the sky was lit up, and then her husband says, we've got to hit the road, we are running for our lives, we are going to be refugees in a foreign country for maybe years? Can you imagine what that would be like for you as a mother after just having a child, going through all that that takes, and then having to process, oh my goodness, I've got to leave and go somewhere. I can't even speak the language. I may not even be safe. I can't even be in my own home with my baby. And not only that, everybody that sees me will know that I am the reason their baby was taken. Can you imagine that? And see, we don't talk about this at Christmas because it kind of ruins the mood, doesn't it? I mean, nobody wants to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing when you think about babies being murdered, right? But that's the story, isn't it? And it makes it a little more heavy, doesn't it? See, back in Matthew 1, the promise of Christmas in verse 21 wasn't just God with us, but it was something very specific. If you'll remember, it's that Jesus would save His people from their sin. And I think as we've read the rest of the story, there's a lot of sin going on in this story, isn't there? And maybe it's just led by one man, but that one man is a picture of the enemy, and a lot of people were helping him out. As Roman soldiers, they didn't care if it was a boy or a girl, or if it was exactly two, or maybe a little bit older. If it looked like it qualified under the category of, you better get rid of it, they did. Sin made itself known in this story. And Matthew does this masterful poetic job showing us both a world where God and sin are with us. And by the end of the story, we feel a little bit more of sin than we do of God, don't we? We feel a little bit more of pain than we do of peace. We feel more of grief than we do grace. We feel more hurt than we do help, right? If you read this story and you think, wow, I can't believe that just happened, you forget all about the birth of the Messiah because of the big mess that it led to. See, the first half of the story, we see God 
come alongside us and His presence is felt far away, we also see sin make its presence known and felt deep and wide. And here's the tension that Christmas didn't solve in and of itself. See, God's willingness to dwell alongside us in spite of sin shows that He loves us, but His love does not stop there. If Christmas was just about the manger in the nativity scene, the second half of Matthew 2 shows us that even Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were not invulnerable to the damage and the shadow of sin. Even after the massacre, they struggle to find a safe place and feel secure and have to go way north to live. As bright as the light may have been at the beginning of the story, it is as dark as ever by the end of the chapter. Jesus and His family as refugees, all of these innocent children murdered. How can it be? How ironic that Christ had come to a world where Judah's own king was a threat. It didn't stop at a threat, but His bloody massacre. We don't talk about this at Christmas. We don't sing songs about this at Christmas, but maybe we should. Maybe it would benefit us to consider the darkness that swept over the land just days after Christmas lights had been turned on. Because the darkness they experienced isn't too dissimilar to the darkness that we all experience on any given day. And Jesus promises to save us from that darkness. And here's why I think you can be glad that we're talking about this today. Because we all have days that get pretty dark. And it may not be as bad as it was for those mothers and those families that lost their children in the aftermath of Christmas, but we all have days where it's not so pretty. It's not so Christmassy, right? All around us, within us, we all face different battles. And if we're going to know and benefit from the salvation Jesus came to bring us, we've got to understand that salvation is not just a seasonal feeling. It's a lifelong experience, and it can make a difference in your life. Jesus can make a difference in your life. I mean, do you really think that Christmas was just about brightening things up for just a season? Do you really think God with us is just a band-aid over how bad things can be? Or if Jesus is really and truly a Savior, a Savior who never promised to keep us from our sin, but has promised to save us from being undone by sin, from being buried and overwhelmed and overcome and defeated and condemned, because that's the world we live in that's all around us, around this manger scene, even around the light, there is darkness. Loneliness, separation, uncertainty, homelessness, brokenness, deceit, oppression, evil, and pain. As soon as the music stops playing, as soon as the lights go off, that's when we sink back into the real world. As soon as these manger scenes go back up for 11 months, it's like Jesus goes away. It's as if God was only with us for a little while. But then we go back to living life, fending for ourselves, opening ourselves back up. Is God with us just a temporary seasonal promise? Or is it? Can it be more? See, for many of us, just like the Christmas story, those Christmas moments, as magical and as moving as they are, they can become so quickly undercut by tragedy and darkness. Bad news the next day can make everything that was good seem to fade away. There is a vast and evident separation between us and God on some days, a lot of days. If we ignore the next part of the story, we aren't being honest about how many of our stories go and what many in the world face. We miss out on the help that God has for us. 
Because embedded in this story is the promise of something more than what we often glean from the surface. What if God is with us? What if God as one of us was just the beginning of something more? What if the story of salvation just begins with God with us? And what if the story of salvation is that God became one of us so that we could be at one with Him? As in, we are separated from God, we are distant from God, we are far from God. What if the whole point of the story was to bridge that gap, to reconcile that divide? As in, you don't need, to, you don't need me to spell this out, but the world is not one with God. I think we can agree with that, right? The world is not one with God. Jesus grew up and even said, as time passes, the world's just going to become more and more of a mess. It's going to be more and more apparent and evident every day how at, not at one the world is with God. Jesus said, the days will come, you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And this is just the beginning of pain. But that, that phrase, birth pains, speaks to the longing and the desire in our hearts for something better. That we all know that things are broken and that we know things can get and should get better. Romans 8 verse 23 says that not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption and for redemption. See, what's clear is that the world is not, we are not one with God. That's, not the, that's, that's the gist that I think we can see all around us. But the more good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to make us one with God in a world that clearly isn't one with Him. Jesus came so that people and God could be at one. Or better put, Jesus came so the gap between God and people could be atoned for. And that word atone comes from the phrase at one with or brought together. And that's what salvation is really all about. Atonement. Not a promise that all wrong will be made right, but that all sinners can be reconciled. All who've done wrong can be made righteous with God. From the very beginning, this was on Jesus' mind. This was His mission in the most crucial moment of His life. He was arrested for being uh, in question for the rumors that He claimed to be a king from another kingdom, which posed a threat to Rome, and they took very serious. And Pilate, no doubt, looked through the history books and noticed that this massacre took place around his birth. Maybe Rome wasn't just paranoid. Maybe there was something to those rumors of Jesus being the Messiah, a threat to Rome. And when Jesus stood on trial, he said this to Pilate, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So Jesus says right there in his defense statement to the Pilate, I was born for this moment, Pilate. This is why I was born. He wants us to know exactly why he came, exactly why we celebrate Christmas. It's all about being made one with God, it's all about atonement. Listen, Jesus is not, not anymore at least. A baby who is meek and mild, lowly, in a manger. 
I know He looks cute. And I know we love seeing Him in that manger. He's not that. He is a battle-scarred King who went to hell and back to make us one with God. He went to war for you. He went through hell for you. As cute as He was in the manger, and as the songs we sing, and the plays we see, and the memories and the sentimental values of this scene, that is not the full picture. That's not the whole movie. See, we need to break Jesus out of this manger. Because for many of us, He's never left that manger. He's just an ornament. He's just a figure. He's just an idol that we pay tribute to a few times a year. It's almost like we try to keep Him here because it's safer, it's sweeter, it's, it's a better story. But Jesus doesn't need you to save Him from His future. He doesn't need us to try to keep Him on this side of the story. We need Him to save us so there will be a future for our stories. See, this is where it's hard to even understand and comprehend, but at the heart of God, at the core of Jesus, as a baby in that manger, was a desire and a passion and a determination to go to war for us, driven by love that we cannot fathom. When he was laying in a cradle, what was on his mind, what his focus was all about, his destiny was hanging on a cross for us. And while we don't like to put scenes of Jesus bleeding out on a cross, that was what he was born for. His own choice, mind you. The Roman cross loomed dark and ominous over the world. Empires and kingdoms had long been trying to perfect an instrument of torture. The cross had been in the works for thousands of years. Rome finally nailed it down. It would send a message to anybody who dared oppose its tyranny. It was not merely the wiles of some king or dictator. It was the work of the enemy who set up kingdom after kingdom that would drive out hope into the shadows and drive life into the graves. Not everybody ended up on Roman crosses, but the Roman cross sent a message that anyone could end up on one and anyone might end up on one if the enemy has his way. The oppression from earthly kingdoms filled the void that existed between heaven and earth, between God and people. Sin caused distance and distance caused pain and pain caused death. And this is the reason why Jesus did not stay meek and mild, admired in a cute manger. He got up and He grew up. And He proved His goodness and His purity through wonders and signs, but turned everything on its head, if only to fulfill His purpose and His passion. He became one of us so that we could become one with Him. He became at one with us as we were, so that we could become at one with Him as He is. And that meant He had to become one with the very worst parts of every one of us. Jesus became one with all the worst parts about us and our world. And that's why atonement is all about substitution. Not because we needed to be punished and Christ would be punished for us, but remember, this is God with us. 
So substitution speaks to Christ being with us in our sin, in our brokenness, in our pain, in our sorrow. He took our sin and the effects of our sin and the damages of our sin and all that sin will do to anybody and everybody. 2 Corinthians says that for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we believe in imputed righteousness. That because of Jesus' death, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and slides it over to us. He copies and pastes it onto our record. But this wasn't done at a distance. Before we could have His righteousness applied to us, our sin had to be applied to Him. And Christ was counted as one of us. He became one of us in every way. Though He did not sin on His own, we are counted as one with Christ because He united His deity to our humanity. He became like us so that we could become like Him. So know that when we celebrate God with us, we celebrate God with us not just in a quaint, sentimental way. We celebrate Him as one of us in our sin, dying in our place. Jesus saw us under all the burdens and pain and sorrow and anguish, and He willingly welcomed all that to Himself. Corinthians goes on to say that, you know the grace of our Lord, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, might, so that you by His poverty might become rich. He was rich in every area in which we are poor. Humanity is poor in a lot of areas. Morality, integrity, hopes and dreams, potential desires. Where we are sinful, He is holy. Where we are anxious, He is confident. When we're lost, He is secure. When we're hateful, He is love. Where we are confused, He has clarity. Where we have regrets, He has none. Where we have disobedience, He has been right always. Jesus did not come to earth as a baby on Christmas to be phoned over and have pictures posted about how cute He was and how perfect the scene was. He came to earth to address how broken we are and how imperfect the world was. Not as angry or in wrath, but in love and devotion. And that's why, where we have scars, He has more. Jesus went to a cross to fight for us. He bled out for your sin. He bled out under the weight of your sin, welcoming on Himself all the wrath that sin deserves to eradicate from it from a place of power, to disarm and to defeat it. As bright as it was when He was born, darkness engulfed Calvary's hill as He hang on that cross. As sin drained every last bit of life out of Jesus, wrung Him out like a cloth until nothing was left. And yet Jesus had the last word. He cried, it is finished. The grip and chokehold sin had on people. The idea that we could do no better and could expect no better. Jesus, the perfect man, the only perfect person, put Himself in the place of sin to put us in His place. Jesus gave up His life to free us from sin. He stepped into hell having bled out. 
He stepped into the dark pit dungeon of hell, a place created for Satan and his angels, a place full of broken and lost and unrighteous people, a place that was the destiny for every person apart from God, a place that mocks those it defeated and holds captive. And Jesus was humiliated, was stripped and nailed to a cross, and He was bled out under the blunt of sin, dying as no one ever had before. And when He closed His eyes, He stepped into hell, but not in chains, but in victory. Because the claim that hell had on us was no more. Because Jesus voluntarily paid the price of sin for us. And the leverage hell had against anybody was taken away when the innocent Lamb of God died in our place. Hell could no longer point at you or me or anybody and say, they deserve this, they've done this, they've broken that, they are destined to be here because Jesus went to a place He was not destined to go, to die for those that should have. He went before the enemy and denounced the power and authority of hell. He took the keys because on every one of our hearts is a lock. Inside our hearts is sin, and the lock was placed on our hearts by the enemy because he thinks he owns us. But Jesus took the keys, and he ascended to heaven, and he says to you, and he says to me, if you bring your heart to me, I can set you free. So here's the thing about Christmas. Jesus is no longer in a manger saying, what will you bring me? He's in heaven proclaiming, look at what I can bring you. It's all about the gift He wants to give everybody. If you're broken, if you're hurting, if you're lost, if you've messed up, Jesus is your Savior. And that title never changes. And if you celebrate Christmas as just the way to end the year and you shove all your problems to the back until it's over with, if you're around people that, you, you make, that make you question if you've got it together if, or make you wonder if they'll ever get it together, if you've got a messy family or if you're the mess in your family, Christmas is not about the pictures, the parties, and the wrapping paper. It's about what God wants to do in your life. Remember, He became like you so that you could become like Him. And I know this isn't what we normally talk about at Christmas, but that's the reason nobody ever gets any help. You've got a Savior on a throne in heaven. That means we've got representation in heaven. You know what that means? That means that in heaven there is a battle-scarred, bruised, beaten, and crucified man sitting on the throne. And he says to you and he says to me, nothing you've been through can keep you out of here. Nothing you've done can keep you out of my presence. Nothing you've done is too bad that I cannot undo and forgive and make you brand new. One of our own sits on heaven's throne. Someone who suffered under the brunt of sin, but overcame and rose again. That's why Jesus came. To tell us, to tell you, you can be one with God. Nothing stands in your way. And there is power in Jesus' name. Not power to make all the bad go away, but power to perceive things differently. Power to face things differently. Because at His birth, He was surrounded by the world's worst. 
But in His death, He welcomed our very worst. Because Jesus came to earth. Our soul can feel and find its worth and experience new birth. Not just one time, but every time evil and sorrow and just life overwhelms you, you can bring it to Jesus. Remember, He's not in a manger expecting our best anymore. He's, on a cross He's not on a cross experiencing our worst anymore. He's on heaven's throne welcoming us home forevermore. So that's why you and I can know that Jesus is our Savior. And no matter what chains may bind you or may hold you down during some seasons of life, Jesus gives you the power and offers the power you are looking for to be saved, to be set free. That is the Christmas gift that will never, ever be taken away. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. I thank you for the promise of Christmas. Lord, for many of us, Christmas has remained such a fairy tale to us. It's remained something that is so long ago that makes us feel good at times when we hear the story, but it hasn't done anything for us. And the reality is, Lord, we're broken people. We're hurting people. We're, we, we're, we've made messes and we've done things that are wrong. And Lord, there's a lot of problems in our hearts. Father, we need a Savior. And, and, and not a Savior that we just visit every once in a while, but a Savior that we have all the time. A Savior that will be there for us, that will accept us at our worst, and can make us brand new. Father, I don't know what somebody's thinking today, what they're going through, but maybe somebody needs that to feel that renewal and that strength that the Savior promises us. Lord, maybe you will move in this house today and you will remind somebody they're not alone, that you haven't forgotten about them. You will never forsaken them, that Jesus died in their place to give you life, to give them life, and to give them a place in heaven forever. Lord, we thank you and we give you this time of invitations. We sing about your chain-breaking power. May you move and break chains in our midst today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.